Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. For hundreds of years, God had warned the nation of Judah that if they would not repent of their sin and stop breaking God's commandments, then they would go into exile. As a result, Judah did not repent, and they were conquered, and they were exiled to Babylon. But God had promised to bring them back after 70 years, and so it had been 70 years. And Zechariah, who was probably born in Babylon, came back with about 50,000 exiles to Jerusalem. And he and the prophet Haggai prophesied to the people about rebuilding the temple. They had started rebuilding it, and then they stopped. And the challenge was for them to finish rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah also prophesied about the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, which is really unique about his book. And therefore, the title of our series is Your King is Coming. Knowing the King and Messiah was coming, they needed to rebuild the temple. And we now know that Jesus is coming again. We need to make sure our temple is ready. And so Zechariah had many strange and unusual visions that we're going to study in the next few weeks. And here's the first one, Zechariah 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine, and behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. And then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who, who talks with me. In verse 14, and then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I'm also very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord said. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. When you watch a series on TV... They usually summarize the previous episodes before they start the new episode. And so allow me to summarize previous episodes of this sermon. Knowing that our king is coming, number one, we need, to, we need the word of the Lord to come to us. We need to hear God's voice. And part of our preparation for his coming, number two, we must search out the signs and symbolism in Zechariah and Revelation and Daniel and different books of the Bible. Now it's not easy to understand in time prophecy. That's why we need to study it so faithfully over and over again. In fact, number three, there's a promise of blessing when we do that. When we study God's word, especially about the end times, we will be blessed. 
And why is it so important to study? Because, number four, there will be a deception and a great falling away in the end times. However, we don't have to fear about that deception because we know who we trust. And we know this, number five, God controls world events. It's a crazy world going on right now, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, the things that are happening every day, it just gets weirder and weirder or more weird. I don't know which is the proper way to say it. But we know God is ultimately in control. Man thinks he's in control, but ultimately God will have his way. And though God is in control of world events, number six, God knows every human heart. And so he knows the whole world, and he knows your world, what you're living through, what you're going through. And though God is in control, we still have free will, and we'll be held accountable for that. And so there were these riders on different colored horses, and they reported to the angel of the Lord. And who is this angel, number seven? The angel of the Lord is Christ Jesus. We see this phrase in the Old Testament. It's usually representing the pre-incarnate Christ. And here is the report that was given to the angel of the Lord. Number eight, beware of false peace. The Bible says in the end times, they will say peace and safety and then sudden destruction will come. And so number nine, only Jesus offers true peace. Don't try to find peace in this world. Don't try to find peace in money and possessions. Don't try to find peace in those kinds of things. The only true peace we can find is in Jesus Christ. No matter what chaos or turmoil or catastrophe is going on in the world, you can find peace in your heart. But while we're waiting for the Lord's return, sometimes we get discouraged. And number 10, we wonder how long. How many of you have been hearing about the coming of Christ your whole life? Remember the books, the late, great planet Earth and the rapture movies? And so we've been hearing about this our entire lives. I have my entire life. And so sometimes we wonder, how long, Lord, come now. I'm ready, I'm ready for Jesus to come now. I don't know about you. But while we're waiting on the Lord, we have this promise, number 11, he will show mercy. It's coming. Mercy is coming for his people. And number 12, we realize that Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus actually prays for you and me. He ever lives to make intercession before the throne of God for you and me. And as our high priest, he also, number 13, God will comfort us. Yes, there will be suffering. There will be loss. There will be tragedy. But God promises to comfort those who mourn. There is always purpose in our suffering. And here's one of those purposes, number 14. Our suffering comforts others. We suffer and are comforted by the Lord so that we can comfort other people who are going through the same things we're going through. They can relate. They can understand. And God's comfort is greater than our suffering. It overflows our suffering. So that's where we left off. And here is something we learn about the Lord in this passage. Number 15, God is jealous. Now that, that doesn't seem right. Because jealousy is usually seen as a negative emotion, a negative response. And so why, why is it said over and over again in the Bible, it says God is jealous. This is one of the characteristics of the Lord. Now when Moses was up on the mountain of God chiseling the new Ten Commandments because he broke the first set, came down the mountain, people were partying, making golden calves, he got mad and threw the Ten Commandments and they broke, so now God said, this time you're writing it. God wrote it with his own finger the first time. The second time, Moses had to chisel it himself. 
I guess that was his punishment for breaking the first commandments. But while he's up there, God says, I want to reveal myself to you. I want you, Moses, I want you to know who I am. And this is how God describes himself. He says that he's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands of generations. And he forgives our wickedness and our sin and our rebellion. That's the God we serve. All of those characteristics. And we like that. We like that God is compassionate. We like that he loves us, that he's kind, that he's generous. All of those things, that he forgives us. But God also said something about himself in that same passage. Exodus 34, 14. God says, do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now this is kind of difficult for us to understand. We don't really see this about God, but... We understand God's love, but do we understand his jealousy? After all, we're not supposed to be jealous in most cases as humans. Because in most cases, for us, jealousy is a sin. It's not healthy. It's negative. It's counterproductive. In fact, jealousy is listed with some big sins. Look at some of these big sins that jealousy is listed with. Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. I mean, look at the company jealousy keeps. I mean, those, those are some big sins there. And yet jealousy is listed among them. Now here's the reality. Most often, almost all the time, our jealousy is wrong. It's sinful. Only God can be jealous and it not be a sin. The Lord's love is linked to his jealousy. He loves us. He he doesn't want to share us with any other gods. He wants to be exclusively our God. I want to tell you something. As a Christian, there's only one God and one Savior and and one Spirit. It's all or nothing. We worship God, we can't share him with anyone else. And so Thomas Constable wrote these thoughts about jealousy, God's jealousy versus our jealousy. He says this, jealousy when used to describe God's attitude refers to his careful concern, specifically intolerance of rivalry or unfaithfulness for the well-being of others. Often in scripture it alludes to God as a husband wanting to keep his wife, Israel, or the church both are called the, the bride of, of the Lord. To keep them true to himself, God's jealousy has none of the negative connotations that we associate with selfish human jealousy. It's all or nothing. God will not share us with anyone else. And in a spiritual sense, we are married to the Lord and we should not be flirting with other religions. We shouldn't be flirting with the world because God is who we are sp- we are committed to wholeheartedly. And so let's not play around. The Lord can be jealous and not sin. And he's jealous for us in a passionate way, in a loving way, not in an angry way. Because when God is jealous, it is God-centered. But when we're jealous, it's usually self-centered. So the Lord can be jealous and not sin. In addition, God can be angry and not sin. Now, we can be angry and not sin, but it's not easy. It's rare. 
The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin, but in most cases, our anger does lead to sin. But the Lord can be jealous and angry, and there's no sin in it whatsoever. And so the Lord said, I'm very angry at these nations who feel secure. They think they're, they're powerful and, and can't be touched. He says, I was a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Of this we can be sure, number 16, God will repay. Now this is a fascinating thing. God warned his people that if they did not follow him, and they didn't, they worshipped other gods, they did terrible things. They sacrificed their children on burning altars to these false gods. They did horrific things. These weren't little itty-bitty sins. These were catastrophic to the nation of Israel and Judah. And so what God said is, if you do that, I'm going to send other nations to punish you. And that really bothered Habakkuk. See, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he saw the evil in Israel and Judah. And he said, God, when are you going to do something about this? And God says, oh, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send this nation called the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is like, wait a minute, they're worse than we are. Why would you punish us with someone that's worse than we are? But that's what God would do. But in this case, Babylon and Assyria went too far. God used them to punish Israel, but then they went far beyond what God intended. They added to the calamity because they thought they were secure. They thought they were in control, not God. And so Wearsby Bible Commentary talks about this. The Lord was angry with the Gentile nations because they had unnecessarily, they had been unnecessarily brutal toward the Jews. True, God had called Assyria to punish the northern kingdom of Israel and Babylon to chasten Judah. But these nations went beyond what God called them to do and tried to destroy the Jews, wipe them out entirely. And so God used the nation to punish Israel, and then God punished that nation for, for going too far, for going beyond what God intended. God would deal with Israel and Judah's enemies in the same way we can be sure that God will address our adversaries. God will take care of business. I don't know if you've heard, but on early Saturday morning, somebody stole the church van and rammed it through the, through the fence and escaped. I want you to know that I feel led to lay hands on them if I can find them. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, what's happened to the world? There was a time churches didn't lock their doors. And now they steal the church van. I mean, we've had the catalytic converter stolen before. But this time they stole the whole van and rammed it through our fence. I'm glad God is in control. And here is, when things happen like that, especially when we're personally violated, here is God's command. If you've been hurt, if somebody has done wrong to you, this is God's command. This is a tough one. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We are not to take revenge. And here's the tragedy. It won't satisfy, even if we get revenge. 
Revenge belongs to the Lord. There are certain things that belong to God and not to us. We're not to touch them. We're not to take them into our own hands. And one of those, we're not to touch God's glory. We're not to rob God of his glory. And we're not to take revenge. You ever wanted to pay someone back or is it just me? Am I the only sinner in the house today? Oh, I've had, there are times, we, you know, you've been hurt, you've been wounded. But it's not our place. It's never our place to exercise vengeance. It's only God's place. It belongs to him. It's his prerogative. And it says, leave room for his wrath. See, that's what, what, what happens. We get in the way. When we take revenge, we're saying, move out of the way, God, I'll take care of this. But we need to leave room and we need to give time for God to deal with it. He's going to deal with it. But we have to leave room. We've got to give time because it's a sin to seek revenge for yourself. Let God re- avenge. He knows how to do it. He knows exactly what's right and what's best. He'll take care of it. Now, it also says that God will repay. I, I see that two ways. He will repay those who have hurt us, but he will also repay those who have been hurt. And here's the reality. The person that hurt you may never repay you. In fact, they may be dead. And so they're not going to repay you. They're not going to say you're so- they're sorry. But what we have to realize is even though they won't repay us, God will. In the book of Joel, God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And that's symbolic of the losses we've faced. And so our adversaries may never repay us what we're due. But somehow, someway, God can. I was on vacation last week, bless God. And I went fishing in Mammoth with some friends I met in the oil industry a few years ago. I want to tell you, I've been looking forward to this fishing trip for two years. Because this friend of mine, Wayne, goes every year, and we went two years ago, and we caught over 80 fish. Now, we put them back in the river. We didn't keep all of them. So, but we were just, we were probably catching the same fish 80 times. But anyway, it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. We were catching fish. We had a blast. We had so much fun. So I've been looking forward to this trip for two years. Stupid COVID last year stole my fishing trip. And so now I was ready, man. I was geared up. I bought stuff online. I went to Cope's. And, I, man, I was all decked out. I had a list. I'm telling you what. I had a, a, t- a t- shopping list for fishing gear. I had a, a packing list, man. I had, I had knives, I, you know, because those fish can get dangerous. And I, I had waders, man. I had hip waders. I was ready to go in. It's embarrassing when you order hip waders and they don't, they're too long. They don't go all the way to your hips. I don't know what the problem is. I'm a normal person. What do you, abnormal tall people. Anyway, so I had all the equipment. I had all the gear. I had everything. But there's just one problem. All the national parks were closed. And we didn't know that. We drove all the way to Stinking Mammoth. Only to find that all the national parks were closed. Because we caught most of our fish two years ago in the devil's post pile. Maybe that's why God didn't want me with the devil. <laughs> but we were so discouraged and frustrated. There were a few other places to fish out on other places, but there was restrictions. They hadn't planted any trout. So I'm the only one that caught a fish. And 
I didn't even take a picture. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> Held it in my hand, and you couldn't even see the stupid thing. It was embarrassing. But I caught it. I did catch it. So we thought, this is a waste of time and money. Let's just, we'd already stayed one night. The hotel was $225 a night. So six of us stayed in one room. No, I'm just kidding. I was just, the only two of us. And so we thought, well, at least let's get our money back for the next night. They wouldn't give it back to us. We tried everything. We tried every maneuver. I threatened to call down the fire of God. No, I didn't. I wanted to, but I didn't know if he would do it. And no matter what we tried, the hotel would not reimburse us, that $225. And so we were frustrated. All that money. But you know what? One of the guys on our trip said, you know what, guys? I'll pay for it. Out of the goodness of his heart, bless God, we got repaid. Not by our adversary, the hotel. I'm not going to tell you which hotel. Because that would be revenge. But by another means. So, see, that's what happens. We're looking for that person or that, that situation to repay us. They may never repay us, but God will. Another way, another means. Don't look for your enemies to repay you. Look to God. God was bringing his people back from exile to Bab from in Babylon to Jerusalem. And not only would the people return... Number 17, God said he would return as well. God says, I, I, when you get back to Jerusalem, I'm coming back. I will return. And he came as the Messiah, born in a manger. And not only did Jesus come the first time, he's coming a second time. Over and over in the Old Testament, the prophets would speak of a first coming and a second coming. And we see this later in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, and this is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. See that, that jealousy, that love, that passion God has for us. And this is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then, the, then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is probably speaking of the second coming of Christ when Jesus will set up his kingdom to literally rule and reign on this earth. God would return to Jerusalem with mercy. And Jesus is coming to show mercy to his people as well. You know, we need to be mindful of what the Bible says about the end times. The Bible gives multiple signs about the coming of the Lord. God has not left us in the dark. He has given us signs to be watching for. And the Bible says multiple times, Jesus said, watch the, for these signs. And so this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Check this out. As it was in the days of Noah, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered it. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. They were partying. I mean, Noah had been witnessing for 120 years. And nothing, there hadn't been a raindrop. But then it came, because God keeps his word. And it says, that is how it will be at the coming of the sunny man. People will be partying, getting down, having fun. No clue 
This is what will happen. Verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Let's put it into modern vernacular. Two men will be fishing. One will be taken and the other left. That's the one time I want to be taken from fishing. This is what's going to happen. This is called the rapture. People will be taken. And the whole world will have to realize it. And so knowing that this is going to happen, what should we be doing? Number 18, we must rebuild our lives. We must rebuild our temple. You see, the exiles had started rebuilding the temple, but then they got discouraged and they, they stopped. The temple was just barely half built. And so Zechariah shows up and says, you need to finish the job. You need to rebuild this temple so the Messiah can come. And so they, get, they get, went back to rebuilding the temple. And we need to rebuild our temple. We are that temple. We are the temple of God. God does not inhabit a building anymore. He inhabits a people. And we learned that through COVID when we couldn't come to church. You know what? We were still the church. It didn't matter that we were separated watching online. We're still the church. We're still the temple of God. Wherever we go, we are the temple. And God is challenging us to make that temple ready. It's, it may be half built. There may be some rooms that are kind of dirty and need to be cleaned out. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's things that need to be changed. But look at this. We are God's temple. 1 Peter 2.4 as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are we're like living stones being built into this spiritual house for God's spirit. We see this same analogy in Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are God's building. We are God's temple. We are God's house. Is this house ready for his return? Is your house ready for his return? Is this house, the church, the, 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 those of us who are gathered here together, are we ready for his return? What, what rooms are ready? What things are going on? Do you have any leaky faucets? I know we did it literally in our house. Our master bathroom, tub, and shower were both dripping. And it's one of those that you got to pull apart and pull the cartridge out and all that stuff. And so plumbing scares me to death. I'm just being honest with you right now. Plumbing scares me. I've had too many incidences where plumbing got away from me and, you know, I got to call an emergency plumber. So I've been putting it off for like six months telling Jolene, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to it. I'm gonna, when, when there's time, when the Lord wills it. Uh, when I see a sign in the sky, I'm going to get to those leaky faucets. And even though I had bad luck in the past, this time was different because I watched a video. <laughs> yep, 
on YouTube. And so now I'm an expert. This ain't nothing. Well, guess what? I got in over my head again. It, things didn't work out like the stupid video said. I couldn't get that cartridge out for nothing. I was ready to pull off the wall. So I had to call a plumber, emergency plumber. I didn't even know where to turn the water off. It, I knew it was by the front of the street, but I opened that, and there was like 9 billion cockroaches in there. So I sprayed it full of cockroach killer, and then I had to reach down into that mess trying to turn the knob. And then I looked, and there's like four or five black widows. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I am out. So it's fixed now. What needs to be fixed in our lives? Jesus is coming. He's coming. And we right now are God's temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Wherever you go, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So wherever you go, you're taking the temple of God. Think about that. Wherever you go, you can have church because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's make our hearts ready because I want to tell you something. When you're when your house is ready and clean and fixed and right with God, the Spirit of God can move in power. When the, when the house is right with God, the Spirit will move. We have to work on our spiritual house. I know I do. But if we, were, if we do, we have this promise, number 19, my last point. God will restore. If we will rebuild, God will restore if you'll work on your heart, if you'll work on your habits, if you will work on your sins, if you'll work on your weaknesses, if you will work on your house, then God will restore. He will restore the things we've lost. He said, my towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. God is in the restoration business. No matter how far people of God, God can restore them. No matter how far a prodigal has strayed, God can bring them back home. we got to believe this, that God wants to restore people. People are broken, they're wounded, they're hurting, they're addicted. And God wants to heal them and set them free. God restores if there's an area of your life that needs to be restored, it may be a relationship, it may be financial, it may be relational, it may be a, an addiction or a, or a struggle with sin, whatever it may be, I have a promise for you. And we can, we can hold on to this promise. It's from Zephaniah, not Zechariah. And Zephaniah prophesied during the time of King Josiah before the exile ever happened. And even then, God was promising to bring them home. Zephaniah 3.20, I claim this for your life, for your children, for your grandchildren. Claim this. Write it out. Put it in your Bible. Highlight it. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes says the Lord. He wants to restore you. 
right before your very eyes. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If there's anyone here that would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that today. Or maybe you've walked away from the Lord, but you're ready to come back home. You're ready to come back. I want to give you a chance to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And so if you want, you're willing to give your life to the Lord, you're willing to trust God, to believe in Jesus, or you're ready to come back home because you know you're not where you belong, would you just slip up your hand, anyone in this place? You're ready. You're ready to accept Christ. You're ready to come home. Praise the Lord. I want to pray for you today. Lord Jesus, I know there are people here today that are struggling. They're going through difficult times, Lord. And I just pray that you would give them strength. God, you're so kind, you're so merciful, but you are a jealous God. And so, Lord, I pray we wouldn't flirt with any other false God. We wouldn't flirt with the world. We'd be faithful faithful to you, God, because when we are faithful to you, God, you do great and mighty things. Your spirit moves unencumbered. And so, Lord, clean our house, both individually and as a church and as a body of Christ around the world, Lord, make us right with you. May our house be ready for your return. Make us ready, Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. You're free to go. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.